869 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 24th of June. My name is Byron Russell, and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls, we have Peter Brading, and our two readers for tonight are Valerie Palmer and Nigel James. This week, we have items from the Whitney Gazette, Chipping Norton News and the Oxford Mail. So, let's begin with our first story, which is read by Valerie, and is all about concerns over rising flood risks in Whitney. The article is headed... Stop this flooding fear. Elderly and vulnerable residents have joined the row over what they see as a lack of action over the risking, rising risk of flooding in Whitney. Kay Gerridge of Riverside Gardens is a member of the more than 100-strong Whitney Flood Mitigation Group and represents nearly 50 residents, many with mobility and health issues. She said... I know that there are other similar communities in Whitney that need their voices heard. They too have suffered stress and anxiety as they watch heavy rainfall and the river level rise. Some 13 residents from Riverside Gardens, where the average age is over 80, were forced to flee their homes in Christmas uh, Christmas 2020 when four properties were flooded and others had water rushing into air bricks. One elderly resident is still in temporary accommodation six months later. Chair of the Residents' Association, Ken Smith, and wife Suzanne said, Many are now terrified, and every time there's a flood alert or storms are forecast, they become extremely anxious that they will be flooded again. Until action is taken, this threat hangs over us. Resident Vera Jordan said the sudden nature of the flood was a tremendous shock. Another couple, who did not want to be named, said, The flood was such a shock. Suddenly water was over the terrace and we hurriedly put some plastic sheeting and an old gate outside our bedroom door. We couldn't find any sandbags and there was no response to phone calls. Water came up the steps at the back and into our ground ground floor flat, only to be met by water coming in the front door of the main house. We then had a flood warning from EA. EA. And another, who did not want to be named, but has health issues, said, In 2007, water enveloped properties within three quarters of an hour. With water already at the top of my thighs, I struggled to my neighbour, who was very unwell. This Christmas, alerted by a neighbour, I saw water pouring into my next-door neighbour's flat. I was so worried for them. Then came the frustration and anger. Here we go again. I felt complete despair. Can you imagine an evacuation at night in the cold and dark, wading through water with little or no help? with all Christmas plans in disarray and going to temporary accommodation in the middle of a lockdown. Last week, we reported how flood victims turned up at a meeting wearing Wellington boots to challenge the council over its alleged lack of action. West Oxfordshire District Council responded that it had limited powers and ability to prevent flooding 
and the main responsibility was with the County Council and the Environment Agency. Residents have also called for regular desilting of the river. However, this week an Environment Agency spokesman said, A previous review of desilting the River Windrush in Whitney concluded it was not an effective method of reducing flood risk. But he added, Landowners next to rivers are responsible for clearing silt and blockages from the stretch of watercourse they own. He said that the EA had permissive powers to enforce this. Of the Christmas flooding, he added, Our teams were out protecting communities across Oxfordshire, clearing debris from rivers to reduce flood risk, work that is done throughout the year. Meanwhile, a spokesman for Oxfordshire County Council said it was the volume of rain that caused the flooding and, because of climate change, things were only going to get worse. And now Nigel has a story about a luxury farm shop's rather controversial plans for a brand new hotel near Kingham. And this item is headed, Posh Farm Shop Announces Plans to Build Luxury Hotel. The team behind one of the country's poshest farm shops is planning to build a new 33-bedroom hotel with a restaurant, spa, gym, swimming pool, alehouse and bakehouse in the same village. Dalesford Organic in Kingham, near Chipping Norton, hopes to convert the former Mill House Hotel on its site into a new venue called Mill Lodge. A free electric shuttle bus service is proposed to operate between Kingham Railway Station, the Mill, Dalesford Organic Farm and the Wild Rabbit Pub, which is also owned by Dalesford's founder, Carol Bamford. Fifteen letters have been received objecting to the inappropriate size and scale of the development and stating that the bus service would be of limited use. Villagers also say the new hotel is likely to add to the amount of housing stock uh, used to house staff, and this plus a large number of second homes in the village would reduce the local resident numbers even further, damaging further what was a once a lively and thriving village community. However, there have been nine letters of support that say that the existing property at the mill is derelict and an eyesore, and Kingham is indeed lucky to continually enjoy the interest of the Banford family, who bring valuable and sensitive developments to this part of the world and generate much-needed sustainable employment and high-value tourism. They add that the site is easily accessed and outside the centre of the village and close to the level of impact uh, and the level of impact of traffic of the development will become... Sorry, can I read that bit again? I'll just read that last bit again. They add that the site is easily accessed and outside the centre of the village and close to the station and should have a low level of impact on traffic in the development when it becomes a destination and that will attract the support of customers uh, looking for high-quality experience that does not currently exist on a viable scale in Kingham and the surrounding area. Overall, Kingham Parish Council welcomed the proposal and said the redevelopment as a hotel was inappropriate and had many features to commend it. 
They raised some concern over the scale, seemingly inadequate parking for staff plus guests, and traffic issues on Station Road. They also sought clarity over which parts of the hotel would be open to non-residents, and suggested that the bakehouse, alehouse, and restaurant should be cons- uh, should be and consideration should be given to the opening of the spa and pool on a membership basis. At a meeting of West Oxfordshire District Council Uplands Planning Committee, Subcommittee, the planning officer, Joan Desmond, recommended refusal. In her report, she accepted that there were likely to be benefits to the local economy from the construction and operation of the hotel and its facilities, but that the development compromises major development within the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty, and an exceptional circumstances case had not been made to justify this development, which would have a significant adverse impact on the area's natural beauty and landscape, including its heritage. The item was deferred for a site visit on Thursday the 24th of June, and a spokesperson from the applicant said, After two years of work and collaboration with the planning authorities to secure support for a hotel on an existing hotel site, the team are looking forward to hearing a planning conclusion at the end of June. TV star Jeremy Clarkson's new Amazon Prime show, Clarkson's Farm, is proving popular and attracting lots of visitors to the farm near Chipping Norton. Hundreds of Clarkson fans descended on his farm at the weekend, perhaps hoping to meet the man himself. The former Top Gear host, 61, has settled for a farming lifestyle as part of his new hit Amazon Prime show, Clarkson's Farm. As part of the series, he works on his 1,000-acre farm between Chipping Norton and Chadlington in West Oxfordshire. But the show's success and the opening of Clarkson's popular Diddley Squat farm shop has created problems for villagers. Cars queued up on nearby roads approaching the farm and police were called. According to Mail Online, one resident wrote on a Facebook forum, Avoid going anywhere near Diddley Squat farm shop. Whole road is blocked again. But worse, there are people stopping on the 60 mile an hour bend with nowhere to go. The crowds and queues built up at the Diddley Squat farm shop the day after the release of the hit Amazon Prime video series. A Thames Valley police spokesman told Mail Online, Officers received reports in relation to congestion on the roads in Chadlington. Officers attended the scene. Our next item is headed Long Service Award for Care Homes Wilma. A care assistant at the Southern Down Care Home in Chipping Norton has been celebrating after receiving a prestigious Long Service Award from the company. Wilma Estupa started at Barchester Healthcare in June 2011 and has worked there for 10 years to meet the needs of residents and their relatives. Regional Director Xin Zhao and Divisional Director Lorna Rose presented the award to Wilma. Ms Rose said, I'm always pleased to hear stories about long service of Barchester staff and I'm delighted to be here today as Wilma has achieved this milestone. It is dedication like this that endures and our residents are provided with a happy place to live. 
Lorraine Ball, the general manager of the Southern Down Home, added, Wilma has demonstrated her dedication and loyalty to this home and its residents year after year. I speak for all of us here at Southern Down Care Home when I say that I'm looking forward to many more years working with Wilma. Walking Doc going extra mile for her patients at hospice. A palliative care doctor from Oxford has walked a double marathon to raise funds for the hospice where she works. Kirsty Durley, who works on the inpatient unit at Sue Ryder Duchess of Kent Hospice in Reading, tackled the race to the King, a 53-mile endurance challenge between the historical sites of Arundel in West Sussex and Winchester in Hampshire. Setting off from Arundel, the 30-year-old and a group from her local netball club joined hundreds of others on a 26-mile route along the iconic South Downs Way. The group camped overnight at the halfway point before walking another marathon distance the next day and crossing the finish line at Winchester Cathedral. To prepare, she kicked off February with a training programme and has been walking or running four to five times a week, alongside her job and looking after her young daughter. Kirsty said, I like sport and I have always been quite fit, but I have never done an endurance challenge like this before. During the pandemic, fundraising has been challenging for all charities, so the doctor really wanted to do her bit and help out. To support her challenge, visit uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash Kirsty Durley. And now we have another run which is fundraising, and this one's headed Fundraiser on Ultra Run. Ian de Villers saw the challenge facing the South Sudanese refugees in Uganda, inspiring him to take on his first ever ultra marathon. Mr de Villers, who works for World Vision International, completed the 53-mile Black Mountains Ultra this month to raise funds to support the refugees. Despite the heat and the 11,000 feet of climbing, he finished the race in exactly 14 hours. Mr de Villiers took up running after joining the World Vision in 2011. He laced up his running shoes and started training for a 5-kilometre park run, eventually building up to the 26.2-mile Abingdon Marathon. Lockdown meant that no more travel could be t- undertaken. Desk-bound at home, he was inspired to stop, uh, to step up his running to the ultra-marathon distance. He said, I feel good that through running I can do something positive. And Mr de Villiers has raised £750. This article is headed, House Builder Helps Families with Cash Gift for Groceries. The Ray Collins Charitable Trust has received a £1,000 donation from David Wilson Homes, which, was helped to, which has helped to feed 12 families for a week. Set up in 2016, the Trust supports and aids people in Wantage, Grove and the surrounding villages in the relief of poverty, ill health, loneliness, isolation and serious injury. It has recently been granted the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service, which, known as the MBE of the voluntary groups, 
is the highest award in the country in the voluntary sector in the UK. The accolade claim aims to recognise outstanding work by volunteer groups that benefit their local communities. The £1,000 donation from David Wilson Homes was part of the House Builders Community Fund Scheme, which is designed to support charities in need of support throughout the year. Ray Collins, founder of the Trust, said, We usually run day trips for 60 local elderly residents living in isolation and 30 disadvantaged families, including 125 children. But because of COVID-19, this wasn't possible. We have kept the families and elderly fed for over 12 months now, at a cost of just under £50,000. We were really pleased to receive the fantastic donation, as in the past 18 months, we hadn't been able to hold any fundraising events and we've relied on donations. The Community Fund Scheme is a wonderful initiative and a lifeline at a time when many charities are under pressure to help without the means to raise any funds. Throughout the pandemic, the Trust has supported disadvantaged families through buying them food, essential appliances and medical supplies. The charity's volunteers have now started to fund cooking classes for mums who have little or no culinary skills. They are also planning to run food hygiene and health and safety courses for the mums to learn new skills to guide them back into employment. Paul Crispin, Managing Director at David Hill Wilson Home Southern, said, During a challenging time for many people, the efforts of the Ray Collins Charitable Trust have been admirable and we're delighted to support its work with a £1,000 donation as part of our community fund scheme. For more information about the Ray Collins Charitable Trust, visit raycollinstrust.org. David Wilson Homes is building new homes in the area at Letcombe Gardens. The house builder is part of Barrett Developments PLC, a FTSE 100 company. Barrett was awarded a maximum five-star rating for the 12th consecutive year in 2021. Our next item is headed, Clinicians Support Town and Gown. Clinicians working for Muscular Dystrophy UK are stepping up their fundraising and training before the charity's iconic Oxford Town and Gown 10k race on Sunday. The running group of scientists who work at the Oxford MDUK Neuromuscular Centre look forward to the event as a chance to meet the MDUK charity staff and also the people who live with muscle-wasting conditions, as well as taking part in the 10k run. Many of them have run in it for several years, The Town & Gown 10K takes runners through the closed roads of Oxford City Centre and past a number of iconic sites. After last year's virtual event, they're looking forward to this year's in-person event and seeing everyone again in the race village before they set off. Corinne Betts, Project Manager for the MDUK Oxford Neuromuscular Centre and for the Strong Group, Professor Laurence Survey, 
is supporting the group of scientists and inviting them to get involved in a series of fundraising events. About 14 people from the MDUK ONMC consortium are running and a further 30 from the Wetherall Institute and another from the Oxford University Department. Ms Betts said, I hold the MDUK charity very close to my heart. I was very privileged to be supported by the charity during my PhD and when I was a postdoc. For more information about the run, visit the charity's website on townandgown.10k.com forward slash Oxford. Workshop Insight for Military Pupils More than 300 children from 12 primary schools across Oxfordshire who have parents in the British Armed Forces took part in a free virtual workshop run by a charity. As part of a scheme by charity Little Troopers throughout June, 315 pupils from Carterton, Didcot, Bicester, Shrivenham, Langford, Farringdon and Nettlebed united to explore some unique challenges they might experience, such as having a parent deployed overseas and regularly having to move home and school. All of the workshop activities were from the dedicated Little Troopers at School programme, which was created by education experts to give all schools easily accessible resources to support military children in classrooms. Rachel Vida, head teacher of St Christopher's Church of England Primary School in Langford, said, Our forces children had a great time in the Little Troopers workshop. They loved designing superheroes, listening to story time, and simply spending time together as a forces group of children. They were so excited to know they were joining other children across the county that were the same as them. Tony Summers, a head teacher at Gateway Primary School in Carterton, said, Gateway Primary School would like to say a huge thank you to Little Troopers. Every child has had the chance to reflect on military life while having lots of fun. The pupils took part in storytelling, imaginative play, movement and drama and were shown tools to help them navigate some of the challenges they might face as military children, either now or in the future. The workshops were funded by the Armed Forces Covenant Fund and offered a snapshot of some of the resources available in the Little Troopers Primary School Resource Pack and Military Child Wellbeing Course. Louise Fettigan, founder and operations manager at Little Troopers, said, Our aim with the Little Troopers at School programme is to make it easy for schools to have targeted resources they can use with their military children. We want to make sure that wherever children live and however many schools they go to, they can access support if they need it and that all schools have a good understanding of the unique challenges that military life can bring. We had planned to run a physical roadshow last summer, but as with many things, the pandemic changed our plans. It's actually turned out for the best, as our virtual workshops have enabled us to reach far more military children than we could have seen in person. 
Our next item has a headline, Prince Enjoys Getting Down to Earth at Farm. Prince Charles was presented with a jar of anti-wrinkle cream whilst visiting a new centre for farm and food education. Beekeeper Tanya Hawkes, who produces Honey Skincare, joked with the Prince, I'm actually 150 years old. At his own request, Prince Charles yesterday toured and officially opened Farm Ed at Shipton under Witchwood in West Oxfordshire. The centre at Honeydale Farm is a showcase for farming systems that help reverse climate change and are in- increase biodiversity whilst promoting healthy food, a cause close to the Prince's heart. Mrs Hawkes, who keeps bees in natural beehives in hollowed-out tree trunks, said she was slightly concerned the royal visitor might get stung. She said, We've had some cold weather and rain, and the bees are keen to get out and start foraging. I was concerned he might be in their flight path. Prince Charles, who arrived in an electric Audi, was greeted by the Vice Lord Lieutenant of Oxfordshire, Brian Buchan, and exchanged Indian Namaste greetings with palms pressed together with the councillors. The farm's founders and owners, Ian and Celeste Wilkinson, who also run Cotswold Seeds, demonstrated to the Prince how their model of regenerative farming creates healthier soil by asking him to study two clumps. Mr Wilkinson said he seemed very interested in the soil and that's really the start of the story. He also toured the community's supported kitchen garden, which provides vegetable boxes for 125 local subscriber families. Prince Charles spent a long time chatting to Hallam Duckworth, 28, who owns a micro-herd of three dairy cows, three calves, on the farm. Mr Duckworth said he was really interested in in these sort of things he encourages on his own farm. Apparently he likes tenancy applications that are focused on the regenerative approach. It's the way things are going. His advice was just keep going, which was rather generous. He was ever so friendly, you can tell he's interested. He asks questions, not just talks to you. Mr Wilkinson, whose farm includes educational space and farm-to-fork kitchen, added, we wanted to create a place where people could talk about how farming could adapt to climate change and biodiversity loss. Ten years ago, when we were talking about this, it seemed extreme. Prince Charles is interested in this sort of work and has been for a long time. We had an approach a while ago and then it was postponed for Covid. Of course, it's very flattering. He's interested and well-informed. He's very keen. The Prince was also introduced to farmers from North East Cotswold Cluster Group and local growers of food producers. He told them, you have to be enormously imaginative and I'm in full admiration. Sing-along marks Holmes' celebration of Queen's 95th. Residents of a Whitney care home enjoyed a royal afternoon tea and sang Land of Hope and Glory to mark the Queen's 95th birthday. Although the Queen's actual birthday was on April the 21st, when she was still in mourning for the Duke of Edinburgh, Troop in the Colour always takes place on her official birthday on the second weekend in June. Alison Parry, home manager at Care UK's Miller's Grange, said, We had a wonderful time. 
We have many residents that have grown up following the royal family and enjoy reminiscing about their favourite milestones over the years, whether it's the coronation, jubilees or even birthdays. Many of these occasions are linked to joyous and happy memories for residents, which they love sharing with one another. It was a fantastic afternoon, and they are already looking forward to planning activities for next year's Platinum Jubilee. Massacred Viking reunited with long-lost Dane cousin. One of the Viking victims of a massacre in Oxford more than a thousand years ago has been reunited with his family in a Danish museum. The skeleton of the young man, believed to have been one of at least 35 brutally executed in the city in AD 1002 on the orders of the king, was couriered from its home at Oxfordshire County Council's Museum Resource Centre at Sandlake to Copenhagen. The bones were laid out last week after a period of quarantine. Ancient DNA evidence published last year revealed that the skeleton, labelled SK1756, but named Vidar by its Danish hosts, is a close relative, such as an uncle, nephew, grandson or half-brother, of a skeleton uncovered during an excavation in Denmark. Both will soon be on display to the public at a Viking exhibition at the National Museum of Denmark and have already been the subject of a Danish documentary partly filmed in Oxfordshire last September. Oxfordshire County Council's curator of archaeology, Angie Bolton, said it was a bit of an emotional time waving goodbye to him after all this planning, filming and getting to know his story. The mass grave was discovered in 2008 when archaeological excavations took place ahead of redevelopment in the grounds of Oxford University's St John's College. Research shows that they had all been massacred at the same time, probably in AD 1002. Whilst 33 of them were tall adult males, two were adolescents. All met a violent death, but did not necessarily lead a violent life. Isotopic analysis suggests that some of the victims originated from within the UK, Denmark and Germany, and SK 1756 had been hit with a sword eight to ten times. The massacre was prompted by King Ethelred II's inability to stop the Viking invaders from raiding England towards the end of the 10th century, despite paying them large bribes to stop. As a result, in AD 1002, he issued a decree ordering the killing of all Danes on St Bryce's Day, including Danish raiders, settlers and their offspring, The timing, plus historical and archaeological evidence, suggests that the remains found in Oxford were probably of people killed as part of this decree. The Danish exhibition is due to run until 2024 and was the brainchild of Dr. Rein Villerslev, director of the National Museum of Denmark. His twin brother, Eske, an expert in DNA, helped to establish the family link between the two skeletons. The Oxfordshire Museum in Woodstock has another of the massacred Oxford Vikings on display as part of its Skeletons Science Exhibition. Thank you very much, Nigel. And uh, we move on back in time, further beyond the Vikings. And um, as we don't have a reflection speaker this week, I thought we'd take a few minutes to have a look at the Romans. And this week, my attention was drawn to an item in the Whitney Gazette, 
about new discoveries at North Lee Roman Villa, which lies in a lovely valley midway between the villages of Coombe and North Lee. A newly found 200-year-old guide revealed that the Roman villa at North Lee was one of the largest and most luxurious in the whole country. It had a total of 60 rooms, including three bathroom suites, 16 rooms containing mosaics, and 11 rooms with underfloor heating. The guide was written when the site was first discovered and excavated by the architect Henry Hakewill in 1813. The guide was found by the Blenheim archivist Dr Alexa Frost, following promptings from the North Lee Roman Villa Volunteers Group, who had researched the archives about the Roman sites around Whitney. The areas around Long Hanborough, Stonesfield and Whitney were rich with Roman settlements. Little now remains. Unfortunately, much of the masonry was used in the Middle Ages for building purposes. Worse still, when the mosaics were uncovered around two centuries ago, they were well publicised in the papers, and hordes of tourists and souvenir hunters descended before any protection could be put in place. Of the villa at Stonesfield, nothing now remains apart from drawings of the beautiful mosaics which were made at the site when it was first uncovered. I moved to the area 30 years ago, and back then you could visit the Villa Mosaic at North Lee, and there was a permanent guardian on site. Due to staffing cutbacks, isn't it always the way, the guardian's job post was scrapped and his cottage boarded up. For nearly a quarter of a century the site remained firmly sealed, and the one remaining uncovered mosaic was locked up. I'm lucky enough to be a volunteer with English Heritage, and a couple of years ago, we set up the North Lee Roman Volunteer Group and started to reopen the mosaic room for visitors. One of our experts is on hand to offer an insight into what life would have been like 1,700 years ago for the Romanized Britons who lived there. It's almost certain that the villa belonged to a wealthy English family who had adopted Roman ways and customs, not to mention their wonderfully efficient underfloor heating systems, and in return for services rendered to the local Roman governor, had acquired Roman citizenship. Our volunteer group recently was awarded a prize by English Heritage for managing to keep the mosaic room going despite the COVID pandemic. This involved considerable reorganisation, not to mention having to disinfect the railings and door handles after every small group of visitors had been and gone. We hope that this summer we shall be able to reopen properly again. Finally, I'm sure you'll be intrigued to know that nearly 2,000 years later, not all the original Romans have actually left the site. When we were carrying out a small-scale archaeological survey a few weeks ago, one of my colleagues spotted two Roman snails, the Latin name for which is Helix pomatia. These large snails, a protected species now in the UK, are much bigger than your common or garden English snails, with shells almost the size of a golf ball. They were considered a delicacy in Roman times and were brought over to Britain during and after the Roman invasion. Amazingly, the snails living by these and other Roman villas today are their direct descendants. So in some form or other, the past is always with us. And so, moving slowly on from ancient snails, we go to the not-so-ancient quiz and the answers from last week. I'm sure both our readers would like to have a go at answering these. So question number one was, what name is given to a female swan? 
It is indeed pen. Yeah. Number two, a deficiency of which vitamin causes the disease scurvy? C. It is in fact C. That is the correct answer. Number three, who wrote the classic novel Les Miserables? Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. Number four, who was the Minister of Transport responsible for the introduction of the breathalyzer test in 1967? Thank you, Peter. It was indeed Barbara Castle. And number five, in World War II, the Home Guard were originally known as the LDV. What did this stand for? Local Defence Volunteers. And so, on to this week's quiz. We start off with a Roman question. Which Roman emperor is supposed to have played the fiddle while Rome burned. Question number two. What does the Latin phrase cave carnem mean in English? Number three. Which southern Italian city is usually credited as the birthplace of the pizza? And now we move to this country. Which UK city is situated further west, Bristol or Edinburgh? And finally, question number five. Who scored the winning goal in the 1966 World Cup and so became the only player ever to have scored three times in a single World Cup final? Right, well, I hope you enjoy answering those. Um, hopefully you're not using Google or finding a friend. Um, so, unfortunately, now before we go on to the second part of this edition, we're very certain to announce the following deaths, which were listed in the Whitney Gazette this week. On June the 5th, Anthony William Dawson. On June the 11th, Alan Green. On June the 8th, Gilbert George Harris. On June the 12th, Raymond Michael Bishop. On June the 13th, Joy Lecerf, née Galloway, Derek Crockford and Jacqueline Mannion. And on June the 17th, Clive Walter John Simpson. Our condolences to their friends and families. And now we move on to the second part of this edition with an initial two items related to the pandemic and the slow steps we're taking back to the normality. The first item is read by Nigel. Yeah. Actually, it's Valerie reading this article. Nearly 3,000 fines issued over COVID rule breaches. Thousands of fines have been issued by police for breaches of COVID-19 laws since they came into force, the latest figures show. Figures published by the National Police Chiefs Council reveal that a total of 2,915 fixed penalty notices were issued by Thames Valley Police between March the 27th last year and May the 16th this year with fewer fines handed out since restrictions eased. 
They include 85 fines handed out after April the 18th, 281 fewer than the 366 processed in the previous five weeks. The latest figures cover the easing of restrictions on April the 12th, which saw the return of outdoor hospitality, non-essential retail and gyms, as well as the rule of six outdoors. However, they do not cover the May the 17th reopening, which saw different households allowed to mix indoors for the first time in months. Of the fines issued in the Thames Valley between March the 27th last year and May the 16th this year, the majority, 2,843, were recorded under legislation which covers the restriction of movement and large gatherings. Under other COVID-19 related regulations, there were 19 for failing to wear a face covering when required and 34 for breaching international travel rules. There were also 16 for breaking business regulations and three for breaches of self-isolation regulations. The figures, which are updated monthly and cover the whole coronavirus period, could be impacted by fines processed late from previous months, as well as cancellations, the NPCC has said. Just last week, an Oxford man was ordered to pay £2,026 for a lockdown party at Tesco in Oxford Retail Park back in November. Tommy Holmes, who lives at Saunders Road, appeared at Oxford Magistrates Court in May on charges detailing a gathering of more than two people at the petrol station at a time when the country was in a second lockdown. However, human rights campaign group Liberty said that rapidly changing rules chaotic communications and a misguided emphasis on criminal justice over public health led to confusion over the fine system and meant interpretation of coronavirus restrictions varied across different police forces. Head of policy and campaign Sam Grant said, At the outset of this pandemic, the government created sweeping and coercive powers to enforce rules that were communicated chaotically. Add to this rapid changes and local lockdowns and policing was inevitably going to be uneven. Across England and Wales, 120,519 fines were issued by the 43 Territorial Police Forces, British Transport Police and Ministry of Defence for Allied alleged breaches of COVID-19 related laws. And the next COVID related item is headed our digital footsteps heading to normality. Life is slowly returning to normal in Oxfordshire, data suggests, despite coronavirus restrictions still being in place. Curbs will remain a while longer after Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the end of restrictions in England and that they would move back from the previously proposed June the 21st to July the 19th. Google uses location data from phones and other personal devices to track trends in people's movements in different parts of their daily lives. 
It compares footfall in five areas outside the home. Retail and recreation, supermarkets and pharmacies, parks, public transport and workplaces. To a five-week baseline period recorded before the COVID-19 crisis. In Oxfordshire, we average activity across these categories was 5% above normal levels in the week to June the 6th. This was up significantly from 46% below when the week beginning January the 4th, when the UK was plunged into its third national lockdown. Across the UK, average activity peaked 9% above the baseline between May the 31st and June the 6th, a higher level than any other week since the UK entered its first lockdown in March 2020. While many activities and venues, such as large-scale events and nightclubs, still have several weeks before they can return, many other parts of the economy have reopened. After months of lockdown, the first coronavirus restrictions were eased in April, when non-essential retail and outdoor hospitality resumed. This was followed by pubs and restaurants welcoming customers indoors in May, along with many indoor entertainment and cultural venues, such as museums, theatres and cinemas, though all are operating at a reduced capacity. Google data for the week ending June the 6th in Oxfordshire shows activity in retail and reception establishments was 9% below normal levels. In supermarkets and grocery stores, it was 5% above the usual. Activity was 92% above pre-pandemic measurements in parks and public spaces. It was 25% below the baseline on public transport, and activity in workplaces was 39% below normal. The Prime Minister pushed back the end of England's restrictions to 19th of July due to the coronavirus variant first identified in India. Archery and hurling of axes among skills to learn at Palace. Axe throwing and archery are among the energetic activities being offered to visitors to Blenheim Palace this summer. Thrill seekers of all ages are being invited to aim for targets in the grounds of the Woodstock stately home in sessions organised by the Bushcraft Company. We've introduced a series of outdoor activities as part of our summer programme and where better to hone your archery skills than against the backdrop of one of the country's most magnificent palaces, said Blenheim Palace's head guide, Sylvain Richard. Originally, it was mainly aimed at youngsters. However, it's also proving to be extremely popular with older visitors, and so we are encouraging everyone to join in. I had a go, along with some of the other guides, and we loved it. The current palace was actually built as a monument to the first Duke of Marlborough's military successes in the 18th century. However, Blenheim is also the site of Woodstock Palace, which is believed to have played host to no fewer than 16 British monarchs over its 700-year history, with everyone from Ethelred the Unready to Henry VIII having spent time there. It was also the scene of famous jousts, with the Earl of Pembroke being killed there during a tournament on the 30th of December 1389 at the age of just 17, 
So current visitors are following in a long line of Marshall's sporting activities, he added. For more details and to pre-book online, visit blenheimpalace.com. And we stay with the theme of throwing axes, uh, and this one is headed, Axe Thrower is Remanded in Custody. An axe-throwing enthusiast found guilty in his absence of having a flick knife has been remanded in custody. Mark Quinn, 46, wasn't present for his trial at, at Oxford Crown Court last week. Judge Michael Gledhill, QC, told the jury no one knew why Quinn, who faced allegations of possession of an offensive weapon and a knife, had not turned up at court. The Abingdon man was found guilty of having an offensive weapon, a flick knife, but acquitted of the axe charge. The court heard how police saw him walking through a communal car park off Southmore Way, Abingdon, with the throwing tomahawk in his hand. He was searched and the flick knife was found in his pocket. Quinn had claimed he'd been practising his axe throwing in a friend's back garden when he realised he didn't have keys to get in through the back door. Finding himself unable to get back in, he said he had been walking round to get in the front door when he was arrested. On Tuesday afternoon, Quinn was back before Judge Gledhill after being arrested on a warrant. The judge remanded him into custody and he will be sentenced later on this year on a date to be fixed. Now, two short items. Warning of new tactics used in Hermes scams. People have been warned of a new convincing Hermes scam doing the rounds. A newsletter from Oxford Neighbourhood Watch says, Scam texts claiming to be from the delivery company Hermes have been circulating for a long time. But recently, the scammers behind them have been trying to make their attempts to con you more convincing. The scam started out as a text message saying you have either missed a delivery or there is a fee to pay for a parcel. But Hermes never asks for payments via text. Scammers are now including other details in the message to mimic real Hermes texts by offering links to track a parcel. And the next item, drug offences charges. A man has been charged with multiple drug offences. Sam Wolford, 28, of Whitney, was charged with drug driving for cocaine and cannabis and possession of herbal cannabis via a postal requisition on May the 27th. The charges relate to an incident in Burford Road, Whitney, on December the 5th, 2020, when a Peugeot 106 crashed into a lamppost and the driver left the scene. Wolford is due to appear before Oxford Magistrates Court on June the 28th. The next item is headed Dame Mary Leads Lineup for Summer Food Festival. The nation's favourite cookery teacher, Mary Berry, will share scrumptious tips on making the perfect cake at a county food festival. The former Great British Bake Off judge will be the star attraction at the Blenheim Palace Food Festival this summer. Dame Mary will treat fans at the Woodstock Stately Home to a question-and-answer session, followed by a book signing. The festival from August the 20th to the 22nd will also feature TV chefs Gennaro Cataldo and Dean Edwards, Masterchef champions Kenny Tutt 
and Thomas Frake, Bake Off star Karen Wright, and Whole Food warrior Eva Humphreys. The boss of organiser Fantastic Food Festivals, uh, Angus Chilvers, said, We're delighted to return to beautiful Blenheim with another fantastic food festival for all the family. We're looking forward to welcoming some of the country's top talented celebrity chefs and experts to the festival kitchen, who will be on hand to answer questions and provide some valuable cooking tips. Expect a wide variety of high-quality and exciting food choices, often unavailable from supermarkets, including flaky butter-baked treats, award-winning cheeses, the tastiest international street food, and craft beer, artisan gins, cocktails and mocktails to quench your thirst. The festival will also feature a range of vegan and vegetarian options from organic seasonal fruits and vegetables to mouth-watering ice cream and even some vegan Prosecco. To attend, the visitors need a park and garden ticket and these can be obtained from fantasticfoodfestivals.co.uk. Water warning for dog lovers after toxic algae flourishes. Pet owners in Oxfordshire are being asked to take extra precautions when walking their dogs near water this summer, as recent hot weather prompted an increase in toxic blue-green algae. Earlier this month, a dog died after coming into contact with suspected blue-green algae. Blue-green algae, or cyanobacteria, are a group of bacteria that can contain dangerous toxins which can be harmful and potentially fatal to pests, to pets, livestock and birds if ingested even in small quantities. The algae may appear as a green or greenish-brown scum on the surface of water. Dogs can swallow it by drinking water from an affected lake, river or pond or while licking their fur after going for a swim. Symptoms of exposure can appear within a few minutes or hours, depending on the type of toxin ingested, and commonly include vomiting, diarrhoea, drooling, disorientation, trouble breathing, seizures and blood in faeces. If left left untreated, it can cause liver damage and ultimately be rapidly fatal. British Veterinary Association Senior Vice President Daniela Dos Santos said, It's been a warm start to the summer and we have started hearing of increasing numbers of blue-green algae sightings. While a paddle in a cool lake may be your dog's favourite outdoor activity at this time of the year, we'd urge pet owners to keep them on a lead during walks near water bodies confirmed to have algal blooms. The majority of blooms are toxic and it is impossible to tell the difference visually, so it's better to be safe than sorry. And our next story carries on with the animal theme as we have an article from the Blue Cross Centre at Burford. And this one's headed, Personalities can shine through when animals have foster carers. It's been another busy week at Burford Blue Cross with the horse units taking in a number of new horses and some new cats arriving into the care of the small animal unit. All pets who arrive at Blue Cross, Shilton Road, are assessed and given any treatment that they may need before we look to find them a new home. 
For some animals, that can be a quick journey. For others, it requires more time. But it's always rewarding to see them head off to loving homes, no matter what their length of stay with Blue Cross. We're so thankful to our army of volunteer foster carers who work wonders for our pets, taking them into their homes to care for them. Many animals struggle in the centre, as despite having the care and attention of the team and facilities such as underfloor heating in their pens, there's no substitute for a home. Many of the pets thrive in a foster home and we see their true personalities shine through, making it easier to match them to a new home more quickly. We also still provide our home direct service where we can help find a home for an animal without them having to come into the centre. This means we can help to find the animal a suitable new home whilst keeping valuable space at the centre for pets in crisis who urgently need a space, such as those who are found abandoned or stray. You can find details of the home direct service and how it works on the Blue Cross website which is bluecross.org.uk. Meanwhile, you might have seen the incident in Henley involving a wallaby. It serves to remind dog owners to be sure that they have their dogs on a lead around wildlife and livestock. Regardless of age and size, all dogs are predatory animals, and although over the years we've bred them for different purposes, many retain strong instincts to chase and hunt prey animals. Those bred for hunting will tend to have stronger instincts than other breeds, but all have to have the potential to carry out these behaviours unless carefully socialised and trained. Blue Cross has advice on the website on training as well as YouTube videos and help can be sought from trainers to ensure that dogs have the best recall off the lead. And now it's time for the notice board. There's just a couple of interesting events this weekend, but a sign that things hopefully are returning to uh, normality or uh, relevantly, relevantly normality. First is the Blenheim Palace Flower Show on the 25th and 27th of June, which you may remember was cancelled last year. Celebration of all things horticultural set in the magnificent surroundings of Blenheim Palace. Contact blenheimflowershow.co.uk for tickets and standard ticket prices start at £8.60. Event Mobility Charitable Trust will be providing electric scooters and manual wheelchairs for the use of the disabled, elderly and mobility impaired visitors. The second event is the Whitney Craft and Gift Market. A wide selection of gifts and products from crafters from all over Oxfordshire and beyond which is going to be held in the Whitney Corn Exchange, right in the centre of Whitney, on Saturday the 26th of June, 10 o'clock until 4 o'clock. We're nearly at the end of this evening's edition. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. These include Sonata Plus, email, internet, podcast and Alexa. Full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link, listen online. Well, that's all we have time for today. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches 
and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette, Chipping Norton News and the Oxford Mail for the stories we have used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Peter Brading, and our copiers, um, Nigel James and Peter Brading, who are copying the, many, the memory sticks tonight, and to our volunteers, Penny Brading and Francis Ashling, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned, and keeping records of this in our register. And finally, big thanks to our readers tonight, Val Palmer and Nigel James. I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so till our next edition... Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.